relationships and friends. Um, I think thriving looks like feeling confident in who they are as a person and, and having the courage to take risks, whether those risks pay off or not every single time, but having the courage to do things that are important to them. And also awareness about who they are and how they function in the world and the confidence to create boundaries when they need to with media or the confidence to create boundaries in relationships and to have a sense of autonomy and independence in that. That's how I kind of see thriving. Yo, Ryan Hartley here from Always Better Than Yesterday and welcome to the interview sessions where I interview, put my curious questions to inspiring people with the simple mission of helping you, me and anyone listening be better in their heart and their mind. These interview sessions are brought to you by our good friends at Web Creation. Head to webcreationgroup.com for stunning websites at sensible prices. Before we get into episode 99, I just wanted to let you know that this week it is my son's eighth birthday. And to mark the occasion, my good friends at Tide 55 have been helping me pull together a four-part series, Father and Son Specials. Two episodes have gone out. Two more will go out by the end of the week. They are short 10-minute episodes. Me and Corey talking about um, leading with love and, and all things growth mindset. It's been an absolute pleasure and a joy to share that little project with the world. We've had some great feedback so far. So head to the Father and Son Specials episodes on the podcast um or head over to youtube we've got some great visuals tide 55 done an amazing job bringing those interviews to life so hopefully you'll uh, you'll go and check those out and enjoy and, and if you feel like you would like to share that with someone you love i would be massively grateful but anyway back to episode 99 i am joined by sarah boyd founder of resilient little hearts I've been a follower of Sarah and Resilient Little Hearts for a while and I've been dying to have this conversation with her for so long. Uh, you'll you'll soon know why when, once you hear the conversation we have, but Resilient Little Hearts exists purely to equip the next generation with the skills they need to thrive in an ever-changing world. And let's face it, the world is ever-changing. So I hope that you really enjoy the next half an hour. I hope it really inspires you in some way hope that you feel like you'd like to share this with one person or a couple of people that you feel really need to hear what uh, Sarah says and really appreciate you spending time with us here uh, on the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast. If this is your first time, come and join like-minded people over on Facebook. Uh, We have a a worldwide community full of like-hearted, like-minded people. Just search for We Are Always Better Than Yesterday. Come and join us. You'll be most welcome. Um, And that's enough from me. Let's dive into episode 99 with Sarah Boyd. Much love, guys. Sarah, welcome to the Always Better Than Yesterday interview sessions. How are you? I'm good, Ryan. I'm glad we're finally getting to do this. It's been a while in the making. It really has. I think now is the time. It was obviously meant to happen today. Uh, Where are you in the world right now? I know you've got an Aussie accent, but that's going to throw us off a little bit, right? (laughs) 
<laughs> yes, so I'm Australian. I'm, I live in California. Now we've been here for about three years and I'm here with my husband and we've got two children, a five and a seven year old. I love that. Tell me a little bit more about you and what you do. Yeah, so I am the founder and creator of Resilient Little Hearts and we're a movement that stands for helping equip children by building resilience and emotional health. And so obviously because children are young, the main way mm. we do that is to empower parents and teachers as well in our community and just really facilitating conversations. Um, we've got a children's book, More Coming and Parenting Resources, just talking about what resilience is, how to build it in your child, emotional health, uh, because as I'm sure you and I are on the same page of, it's, it's one of the most critical components and skills that our children need as they grow up. Yeah. I mean, I'm really passionate about helping the next generation of leaders, but we're not going to get those types of leaders unless they have that self-belief, the resilience, the emotional health. And what, um, what, there's some big terms, aren't they? But let's simplify it. What do those words really look like and feel like in a, in a young person? Yeah, so resilience is someone's capacity to bounce back from stress and challenge. And it's mm. started as a psychological term. They noticed that um, individuals who had been through very challenging situations, some of them developed what they termed resilience and others started really struggling with mental health issues and really needed professional help. And so that was kind of the disparity there. And so it really is an inner capacity protection from like major struggles with mental health, not to put any shame there at mm. all, but to really open the conversation that this is something that we need to be talking about. And the reason I also use the word emotional health as well as resilience is there's a really, I've noticed, I've been talking about resilience for 10 years and I've noticed in the last couple of years, it's kind of become a buzzword and um, kind of all just about mindset and growth mindset and doing hard things, which is an important part of resilience. But a, a key, another core foundational part is emotional health, which is a, an ability to have specific relationships in your life that feel emotionally safe, that you feel like you can be vulnerable in, that you don't feel like you have to be superhuman in those relationships. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to have a conversation about both of those elements. Mm. And, and I think the topic that we always talk about in leadership, are leaders born or are they made? And I guess our resilient children, are they born or are they made? Yeah, so it's a great question. I think uh, that there's both. There's definitely, mm -hmm. when you look at the studies in mental health, there is genetic components and genetic vulnerabilities to all kinds mm -hmm. of different issues. But it's also the circumstances that individuals go through and how they deal with that and a key factor and if you see our community and and one of my main aims with the content in our community is to facilitate empathy between a parent or a teacher and the child because um, it's that early attachment to safe relationships that almost inoculate children from it's not that they won't have, you know, all the negative feelings on the spectrum because we all do, but mm -hmm. really going down the negative paths of having major lifelong struggles with mental health or all the behaviours that can come from that. Mm. That's really interesting because I have two children. They're both in, in early school, you know, seven and, and five, and I have a huge amount of respect for for teachers, but they have such a hard, hard job. Um, yeah. I'd love to know a little bit about your story leading up to kind of resilient little hearts. I know that you've got a background in psychology and neuroscience. Talk to me a little bit about your, your background. Yeah. 
Yeah, so um, I was, you know, I did an undergraduate in psychology. I didn't went on and did a master's of educational psychology. And at the time, um, during all my studies, I was working both in a ministry non-for-profit capacity. And also when my husband started the business, we worked together, just very driven. And then I got a kind of, you know, I wanted to change the world. <laughs> um, but I got a phone call one Friday morning in November when I was 27 years old. That really changed everything for me. And then my doctor was calling to tell me that I had cancer. Mm. And it was just such a life altering experience, especially at such a young age. I hadn't become a mother yet. Mm. And we were still, you know, in the young adults stage of life where you just honestly think stuff like that happens to you when you're older. And it kind of threw me into a huge quarter life crisis, questioning what I wanted to do with my life, what was really important. And I think that was looking back on it now, one of the gifts in such a crisis is it really clearly defines and gives you intense clarity about what actually matters in the end. Mm. And, you know, I was very lucky and blessed that um, once it was about 18 months of treatment, but I, then I got the all clear yeah. and then I became a mum. And I think mm. that, for probably yourself as well and you become a parent and for those listening like that's very life-changing and I began to realize that I couldn't control the kind of world that as much as you want to as a parent mm. <laughs> you just wish that they would never go through pain and you wish that yeah. they would never feel anything like that but I realized that if I don't equip them because where our culture as a generalization is is not equipping them um to build this resilience and emotional health and having kind of the conversations that you talk about as well, it's not just something that's going to naturally come on them. And um, our children are growing up in a very different generation than we grew up in, even mm. just the fact of the introduction of social media and the technology, that that's only under a decade old. Mm. Um, and so I think that we are naive to think that they're not going to be affected by that if we don't also continue to have conversations. And that's really where Resilient Little Hearts was born from, was out of a desire to help equip people and share and just start a conversation. And, and you know, as we've grown, got to meet more and more people like yourself who are similarly passionate about the same topic. And it's really just made me feel very encouraged about the future for our, for our kids. Mm, I love that you use the word thrive equipping the next generation to thrive what if you could in your mind's eye project to this thriving generation that resilient little hearts have had their way with a whole generation and we, we you've built resilient little hearts you've built emotionally healthy little hearts how does that generation look different what where does that take them what does thriving really look like for them I think thriving looks like a value on the right things in life, that they have healthy, intimate relationships. They know how to build a family and close relationships and friends. Um, I think thriving looks like feeling confident in who they are as a person and, and having the courage to take risks, whether those risks pay off or not every single time, but having the courage to do things that are important to them. And also uh, awareness about who they are and how they function in the world and the confidence to create boundaries when they need to with media or the confidence to create boundaries in relationships and to have a sense of autonomy and independence in that. That's how I kind of see thriving. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Just imagine, just take a moment, all my listeners, all my watchers, just, just to imagine how, how life would be very different 
what are some of the things that you're doing then to enable that next generation to thrive? Yeah, so we, um, because obviously we work with children, (laughs) Mm. um, it can be difficult to kind of just teach everything. But one of the things we we started first off, we've got children's books. And so our first children's book is called The Boy Who Stood Up Tall. Um, It's about, oh, look at you. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's really about courage um, and, and having the capacity to stand up to fear. We've got another children's books in the works mostly because I saw with my own children the power of story teaching concepts it's just the power of a metaphor story and and they kind of their subconscious goes off and they go into the story it was very very powerful and then we also have um resources for parents we have ebook downloads and more of that stuff coming um in terms of equipping parents with a lot of the times it's understanding I don't know if you've ever felt this way in parenting, but it's just, I, you know, I feel it all the time, but it's like, I don't know what's going on here. I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so particularly in this area of resilience and emotional health, we just wanted to create an awareness and give that information to parents um, so that you know that there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with your child. (laughs) Um, Like there's like good stuff happening and this is what you can do to facilitate it more. You, uh, you gave a beautiful definition of resilience earlier. I wonder if you've got one for courage. Um, well, in the book, I define courage as being brave and doing something important anyway. Mm. And that really uh, came from my cancer diagnosis is I had realized that I had not been brave with my own life. Mm. And um, there were so many things that I wanted to do and I wanted to write and I wanted to kind of create my own business and I hadn't it wasn't even that it hadn't happened it was that I hadn't even tried and Mm. that's regret that I had and so I really wanted to put that into a story form because I think it's true in all of our lives that courage really is actually having the I don't know the decision to just turn up even if it fails and you get rejected and even if it Mm. but most beautiful things happen on the other side of that current that step of courage you wouldn't have that you know boyfriend girlfriend husband or wife if you hadn't had the courage you wouldn't Mm. have that relationship with your children if you hadn't had the courage to have children you wouldn't have the the business or the work or the career that you have courage is such an essential quality um Mm. That was a very long answer to your question. <laughs> no, it's beautiful. Do you know what I, And I think um, courage, I think, comes from the word cur, which is French for heart. And I, I'd, love, I'd love your definition of courage to be living from your resilient little heart. Oh, I love that. Yeah. There you it's go. It's amazing. It's the new brand. <laughs> you can have that one for free. Um, <laughs> who is the boy who stood up tall? Um, the boy who stood up tall is... Uh, well, it's kind of become, once we started the illustration process with my illustrators, they were like, can we please have photos of a real life person? How about we do mm-hmm. your son? Mm-hmm. And so it very much turned into my son. But the boy who stood up tall, I, I like writing in um, just generalize. The next book is yeah. about obviously just a girl. And, and the other thing that that book addresses is a highly sensitive children um, because yeah high sensitivity is a personality temperament that's often not understood, particularly in children. Mm -hmm. Um, 
It can be a very challenging personality temperament to parent in the early years, um, leading to lots of frustrations and emotional meltdowns and stuff. And so we, I wanted the story to kind of validate that as well. But yes, the illustrations in the book are taken from my son. Mm, you, you use a lot of sensory language. You talk about almost like physiology as well. Like what, why did you do that? Yeah, so in my psychology study, there's a lot of um, study about overcoming fear. And you might have heard that in the adult world, like power posing and using like the Superman stand. Mm-hmm. And it changes our hormones. It, it, it changes it to what many of the studies like coin an ideal hormone profile of the leader. It reduces your level of stress while increasing your level of confidence. Mm. And so the whole metaphor of standing up tall is yes, of courage, but it's also like physically standing up tall can help you manage feelings of fear in your body. Mm. I think the bit, if you don't mind me reading this describes exactly what you've just said. Stand up little one, stand up tall. Don't allow your fears to make you feel small straighten your back, hold your head high, lift your eyes right up to the sky. I think that describes perfectly exactly what you've just described. Oh, thank you. That's very sweet. It's amazing. And there's, there's the power pose. There's the power pose. There's the power <laughs> pose and little bear as well on the floor. That's amazing. Who, who, um, who needs this book in their life? I think well, the obvious everyone. answer is everyone, like, <laughs> everyone. <laughs> Particularly, particularly if you if you have a child that is anxious or maybe highly sensitive who struggles with feeling confident in themselves um, yeah. highly sensitive children are often very empathetic they're very thoughtful they're very creative they also um, get very overwhelmed and overstimulated easily and so if you're parenting a child like that it's really important I think what this book does is validate who they are while also mm. giving them a way forward um, because I think one of the things that can happen with highly sensitive children is they take away a message that there's something wrong with me mm. um, and, and who they are can be such a gift to this world. Um, if we can just get through the kind of overwhelm and the emotions when they're little. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll be, I'll be honest and transparent. Like it's, um, it, it can be difficult as a parent to, to try to deal with that, you know, and, and I can almost hear myself now like, Oh, Corey, don't turn it to tears, buddy. You know, like it's almost something in, in my mind that it's like, Oh, we, we don't need to cry over food or, or those sorts of things. Like, you know, and actually what sort of things can I learn as a parent to put that kind of instincts to one side and, and maybe choose a better option of dealing with it? Yeah. So I, first of all, and always, I would say that like, you need to not feel guilt about your initial reaction. There's so much pressure on parents these days. And I feel like one of my sometimes like hesitations with putting out educational stuff for parents is I don't want to just keep stacking the deck of like, Mm. I also have to do this and I have to do this. (laughs) Um, And so like, when you're parenting a highly sensitive child, like those one-off times where you're like, oh, stop crying or whatever, that's not going to define who they are as a person. Mm. But I would say in terms of a general understanding of a highly sensitive child to understand that they're not having an overreaction to an environment. They are having a normal reaction to an oversensitivity. Mm. So they've done studies where they've um, done brain imaging scans between someone who has high sensitivity as a personality temperament, someone who doesn't, and their brain dramatically lights up significantly more 
if they have high sensitivity than if they don't. So I use this example, like if my husband and I go to like a dinner party with friends, um, within five minutes, I know in the room, because I'm also highly sensitive, <laughs> I know in the room who's not doing well. I know who's maybe just had a fight with their husband just before they came. I, I can tell that the smells of the food, I can hear the music clearly. And, and I'll get to a couple of hours in and be like, I'm ready to go now. My husband is the opposite. He's just like, this is awesome. What a cool vibe. Didn't notice anything about going on with anyone else. And it's basically, it's not that your child is just trying to be difficult. It's that they're hitting their level of coping quicker than maybe another child who isn't highly sensitive. The other thing that happens is in children, their prefrontal cortex in their brain, and that's the part that um, deals with all the self-regulation. So it's for us as we're older, it's the part of us when someone cuts us off in traffic we, that stops us from doing something stupid to kind of get yep. back at them. Children don't have that part of their brain fully developed, so they're never going to have self-regulation at the level we would like and you know as parents we often want it because we're tired and we're doing 25 things but even just having that understanding that they're not they're not having they're not trying to be difficult they're not overreacting what they're doing is they've got they're having a normal reaction to an over sense of stimulation and they actually need us to kind of help them return to a place of calm so mm. hopefully that's helpful what's the next book ah it's coming. It's it's about something very different. It's about listening to, oh, you're the first person that's even asked me about that. <laughs> um, it's, it's about intuition and listening to the whisper in your heart. Um, but that's all I'll say for now, but it will hopefully we'll be releasing it next year. We've just started the illustration process. It did get a little bit delayed with COVID, a lot mm. delayed. <laughs> that's amazing. I can see the excitement on your face already. Yes. How can people connect with you? How can people connect with, with Resilient Ill Hearts? Yeah, so I think that probably Instagram or Facebook is the easiest way at Resilient Little Hearts. Um, and then I'm just Sarah Boyd. I haven't been very active lately, but um, yeah, <laughs> again, COVID. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and then with our website, we've also got lots of free blog articles and free resources for parents at resilientlittlehearts.com. I love that. What does the phrase always better than yesterday mean to you? I love this phrase because it's, it's, it speaks to me about the power of incremental change to actually have a significant difference. And I think about like the metaphor that comes to me is almost like a ripple effect. When you throw a stone in the water, it might seem mm. small, the change at the beginning but it's actually the thing that has substantial impact over time. And I love that because I think our culture is so focused on massive game. Cannonball. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just think that perspective of like growth and just better than yesterday. I, I love that. So that's my interpretation of it. Yeah. Nice one. Thank you. What is, cause I like to be practical. What is your number one recommendation that parents can takeaway and if implemented will definitely help their child be better than yesterday yes so everything in parenting especially between the ages of zero and seven really boils down if you don't do anything else it's really about creating a responsive positive relationship with your child so not perfect but just connected 
Um, and one of the key ways that you can do that, which I know is definitely challenging in COVID, but we have a blog on it. It's about 10 minutes of quality time. And it's just literally 10 minutes where you sit down with your child, no agenda, they get to pick the activity, your phone is away, and you give them your attention and you actually verbalize that you're giving them attention. Oh, I see that you're moving the Legos that way. Or oh, I see that you're doing, you're choosing the color red for your drawing. And you let them lead the activity. That kind of injection of quality time, especially if you're dealing with chronic whining and like, you know, attention seeking behaviors mm -hmm. can really add a lot into your relationship. Why? Well, because many of the times the challenging behavior that we see in children is actually them trying to communicate an unmet need. Mm. And so a lot of the time COVID's kind of a, an additional situation. But if you think before COVID, if your child is overly whining and they're whinging, throwing a lot of tantrums and particularly when you maybe feel like discipline isn't working, you know, timeout or whatever, it just hasn't done anything. It's normally a cry for attention. And yeah. so all relationships are built on progressive interaction. So it's never just like a one, one hit wonder. It's actually about the pattern and the direction of your relationship. And so when you inject kind of quality focused time, a lot of time we don't realize the distraction level that we're at with the stress and the stuff that we're in school, the stuff they're going through at school or preschool or daycare that we don't even know about mm -hmm. the stuff that they're struggling with in a house, if they've got multiple siblings. And so sometimes it's just that little moment where it's like, you actually show them that you see them, you care about them and that you notice mm -hmm. them can really speak wonders. And, and it, just like anything else, it can't just be something that you do once and never again. Mm -hmm. Um, but it is something that can help a lot, the connection between you and your child. It's so powerful. And, and, and I just think, you know, some, uh, most parents, I think, or if not all are trying their best. And, and I think it's really important what you said about the removal of guilt, because we can all get to that point of, oh, I'm working and trying to keep the house tidy, try, you know, and, and you're almost trying to justify these things where if you just as a parent and, you know, just right. Okay. You know, Where's this behavior coming from and why not, not the irritated, what is going on? Why, you know, it's actually taking, it's really powerful when you say actually that that behavior is a signal of unmet needs. And I think sometimes that takes us as parents to be brave and sit with that question. What needs are being unmet? You know, and, and I don't think we take the time as parents, busy parents, working parents that are in this modern age, probably to do that. Yeah, I agree. And I, I disagree. I, I always am trying to be careful that the information that we share and the content we share isn't making parents feel worse about mm. themselves. Because I think that when you feel good about your parenting, you're a better parent. So I don't, there's no point in guilt or shame. It's not helping anyone. But I do think sometimes what happens in our brain in children as well, but for parents is when we're stressed, the empathy circuit neurologically in our brain shuts down. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's the reason why when you feel under stress, like you're not, you're not noticing the people around you, you're, you're cutting people off in traffic, you're stressed at the grocery mm -hmm. store, you're doing all that kind of stuff because you're under a lot of stress. And I think sometimes parents are unaware of just how much stress they are under. Like most of the time we're in two income households where two people working or, you know, more multiple responsibilities and home and exactly what you said, like housework and all that sort of stuff. Um, but it is important to remember that children, what they want more than anything else is just you um, mm. more than the extracurricular activities or, you know, a perfect holiday. 
they they what they really want more than anything else is just that connection with you and and that does like I mean I teach this stuff and run into it all the time a few days later I'm like why is my daughter still whining oh okay (laughs) you know I wrote the blog on it and I just a normal part but it's just like cyclically going through that and oh okay I realize we're back here or we need to do this again it's something Mm. to be aware of And and I think that thing I'd add to that is that being a coach, sometimes when there's emotional connections involved, it makes it harder to deal with. So like being a coach, like my wife and I, like as as calm and as a good coach as I might be, the minute I start asking a coaching question, barriers are up. And I guess it's the same thing with kids. We might intellectually know the right things to do, but there's a difference between trying to get the best out of ourselves and our kids, I guess, isn't there? Yeah, it's, it's so true. And it's just, it's, you know, I think you learn forward, fail forward, learn forward. Mm, Um, But I think, you know, like who you are as a parent and your community, like almost every parent, they're very rare to meet parents that don't want the very best for their children. And if they're making mistakes, they're doing so out of naivety, not out of like this horrible heart towards Mm. their children. And I, I do just think it's like, let's just keep trying and, and keep building it because it is the early attachment to the parent is the best thing you can do. And I, and I say that because I want to validate pe- parents who have decided to stay at home, parents who are, who are making um, work sacrifices or ambition sacrifices in order to give something to their children, parents who maybe feel unseen in the level of contribution that they have in their home, you're doing something very significant. And, and when you're, you know, when you're balancing working, you know, I'm a full-time working parent and you still in your exhaustion, take the time to connect with your child. It's because you're doing something really significant and you're mm. actually setting them, them up for a better future because of that. I love that. Thank you so much for your time and, and sharing your message. And I am going to make a plea. Anyone listening to this, just pause it right now. Go check out Resilient Little Hearts. Go and connect with Sarah. Make sure you check out the website. Even if you're not a parent yourself, go and forward it to someone that is and that you um, know that needs to have this in their life. So Sarah, thank you so much for your time. And I'd just love to hear a final thought from your good self. Final thought. Um let's just keep building resilient little hearts. And I, and, you know, even in your own life and anyone's life who's watching is that sometimes the things that are most important in our life can't be measured by metrics. Mm. And sometimes they're not measured in numbers and things that we see, but it doesn't mean that they're not really, really important and the things that matter most at the end of our lives. And so continue to validate yourself in what you're doing, even if it looks like, maybe you don't measure success or measure up to what success that the world says doesn't mean it's not hugely important. I love that. Thank you so much. You're welcome. There we go. Episode 99 with Sarah Boyd from Resilient Little Hearts. What a conversation I, I geeked out on that conversation. I loved it. I loved learning I love anything that's going to help me be a better parent because I think our next generation really, really need it. And I don't know what are some of my key reflections. I just, I loved, I loved Sarah's definition of thriving, and I love this sense of courage living from your resilient little heart. How cool is that? 
Um, and, and absolutely the key message here if you're a parent is is that we all want the best for our kids. You know, majority of people want the best for their kids. And if we, we're all going to make mistakes and the most important thing is we recognize that and remove any guilt. And once we know better, do better. Hopefully this um, half an hour podcast episode has helped you know better a little bit more about what it's like to be a little one or a highly sensitive little one. Um, and maybe it's helped you be better for your little one. Who knows? But um, grateful for you making it to the very end. Appreciate you. Appreciate your love. Appreciate your support. Drop me a message anytime you uh, want to get in contact. And until next time, come back, check out episodes three and four of the Father and Son specials being released later this week. And I'll speak to you again soon. Much love, guys. <laughs>